I'm 20 years old, and I'm a uh, student in Boston. And what social media platforms do you use? Um, I mostly just use Instagram. Yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter a little bit. I have a Twitter account, but I don't really use it that much. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I hate Twitter. Yeah, um, Instagram is your main platform. You're a little bit on Twitter. Uh, Discord, are you partially active or not anymore? Yeah, um, I'm on Discord. I mean, I'm not really like active in many like big servers or anything, um, but I use it to like communicate with some of my friends. Uh, I use it to play Dungeons and Dragons. I also use it through like for the LSF, uh, the Liberty Socialist Front. We use it for like chapter meetings and for like reading groups. I, I realize you and I are very familiar with each other, but um, for the li- the listeners at home that may not be familiar with your your work and your history, would you briefly describe your politics or your ideology? Do you have a specific label you like to use? I would actually describe myself as like anti ideology, as I think probably lots of like communists would. Primarily, I would call myself a communist. There's lots of sort of labels that I think are a lot less significant that could be applied. There's a lot of them in my bio in Instagram, for example. I mean, there's a lot to go over there, I guess. I would generally describe you as, uh, tell me if I'm wrong here, Um, I would say left anarchist leaning would be the briefest description. And then we could get I remember in the past, we've talked about communization, we've talked about Sterner, a number of different tendencies. But yeah, how would you respond to that label, left anarchist leaning? Well, I know, uh, yeah, lots of people sort of put the label of anarchist on me, um, maybe because they know that I did call myself an anarchist for like two-ish years, maybe. But I don't really personally label myself that way. Hmm like sort of related to being anti-ideology, I don't really um, think of what I'm uh, I'm trying to do as like aiming for some a state of affairs, I guess, like a non-hierarchical existence or whatever. I mean, like I'm, I'm really just paraphrasing Marx here. I'm concerned with the, the real movement, as they say, of the proletariat, which has the potential to abolish all classes. And I mean, I think that is really the only way that you could have a non-hierarchical world. Um, But I'm not really concerned with the morality of it anymore. Um, I'm Mm. definitely still like, I read lots of anarchist theory and associate with lots of anarchists, but I don't identify as an anarchist. I see. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I guess um, by this point we have, we have a long history. So I've watched you uh, move through various types of political thought. Maybe that's a good intro to our next question here. Who would you say are some of your biggest influences today? Well, as a sort of evident through my Instagram, I have a very sort of eclectic influence. If I traced all of them together, Marx would be at at the base of a lot of them. A couple names that I guess I find myself like frequently coming back to are Guy Debord and Raoul Vanagem and like the Situationist International's ideas in general, as well as uh, Jules Dove. And I, uh, I would say I'm very influenced by like queer nihilist writings, like the Gender Nihilist Manifesto and the Baden Journals. Yeah, well, yeah. We, we've traversed a lot of territory in the, the last few years. Maybe I'll just I'll tip my hand uh, a little bit here. It's, this feels insane to say as I was drawing up the notes for uh, our conversation, but I think I followed you since 2016. 
Yeah. Can you believe that? Like it's been five years of like posting and yeah, it is really quite a journey. So I, I feel like I, I feel like we've seen it all at this point. Like there's yeah. a screenshot of your account in the original publication of Politogram and the Post Left. And, you know, even even then, like we've been through the entire landscape of young left radical politics and their evolution over the past few years. So, uh, yeah, it's maybe an unfair question at this point for for someone who has thoroughly explored these spaces over five years to ask them to pick a specific label because really those are more on the the entry level personal branding consumer identity type of concern at this point and we're we've we've aged out of it and the community has significantly matured since that period um let me give you a few more survey questions though just to fill in a bit of the backstory here would you tell us what age are you when you start posting on instagram when you start looking at online political spaces what are the platforms and communities you find your way through yeah i think around the age of 15 I was sort of more politically motivated, you know, like 2015, it was like the beginning of the 2016 election and also the beginning of high school for me, which was just incredibly discouraging for me. And at that point, I sort of, um, I started like just sort of researching online, like what could possibly be like some sort of alternative to the present. Um, I got into anarchist YouTube and I... Also, I mean, initially in 2015, my account, which is currently Zoe for Revolution, was like a Bernie fan page uh, for like just a couple months. Well, actually, before that, it was my personal account that I created in eighth grade, but I never used. But um, I, I, cre- I turned it into this Bernie fan page uh, because I, for a short time I had hope that um, there could be some sort of reform to the political system that would make life better. Hey, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that that hope quickly vanished. For one, I, I didn't feel at the time that like Bernie was treated fairly. I thought that sort of the the two party system was rigged against him, which it, it may have been. But also, I don't think that he was ever really a threat to it in the first place. Like shortly after that initial disillusionment was sort of a further disillusionment with politics in general. By that, I mean, like capitalist politics and electoral politics or uh, well definitely electoral politics but i guess um management of the capitalist world Mm. um really the the primary thing i'm interested in is changing it and abolishing capitalism how did you find anarchist youtube were you on youtube before instagram or what is the order here i think i was running my like bernie instagram account around the time that i ran into anarchist youtube I don't know. At that time, like politics wasn't huge for me. I was a lot less invested in it than I guess I am now after having been on it for years and like meeting people. Uh, yeah, I, I think on you, I just sort of was looking online, I think into like socialism. Maybe I even just looked up the word anarchism or something. I was explicitly becoming anti-state when I like found a couple anarchist YouTubers, like I remember a libertarian socialist rants yeah. via the sub media YouTube channel. And then, you know, their like website were the biggest earliest influences on me. Libertarian socialist rants, especially sort of introduced the idea that like there could be a society that isn't capitalist or like the Soviet union. 
<laughs> and like I just found that very interesting. Uh, yes, the two options. Right. <laughs> yeah, it is it is kind of incredible to just just in case there's no one who's uh, I'm sure not familiar with this, but such a thing as bread tube did not exist for another three years. Yeah, but it, it was a totally different world. And libertarian socialist rants was, as I remember it, it was just a still image and maybe episodes of like 20 to 30 minutes in length. And essentially, it was just a podcast on YouTube. It was really low production value, but one of the only things you could find to try and get a political education that wasn't like just deranged rational skeptic sam harris like richard dawkins type shit on on youtube yeah i think uh when i found libertarian socialist rants it was like slightly beyond that like there was like you know it was basically like a slideshow with a couple short video clips put together how would you describe the politics of the household that you grew up in was it a, a red house or a blue house are your folks apolitical or did that have any meaningful influence in the formation of your political ideas? Um, I would definitely say it was pretty liberal. I mean, my dad called himself a libertarian, but I don't think he would really fit in very well with today's libertarians. And then my mom's like liberal thoroughly, I guess. I grew up watching The Daily Show with my parents and uh, going to a Unitarian Universalist church. It's like a, a liberal church where the whole idea is that everyone comes together for like a spiritual journey without them telling you the answers in advance. And they have like some binding principles, like value of all life and that sort of thing that I was raised on. And I, I do think that a, a good amount of my politics is informed by critiquing that liberal viewpoint. It sounds like a nice thing, but it also sounds like, I don't know, what what any of these religious uh, doctrines really mean. Uh yeah, that's kind of the the slippery thing is that it can be the ideological glue that holds a movement together, but it's also totally incoherent. And again, just uh, what you had mentioned is like, you know, uh, as good Marxists, we know that ideology isn't real. It's in your head and the world is made up of stuff and not ideas. So uh, you should talk about the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try and segue here. I think um, what you're describing is a similar experience of a lot of young people I've talked to that feel underserved and understimulated in school, especially now where you see like <laughs> people who are getting instantaneously rich through like uh, stock market pranks and uh, cryptocurrency and shit like that, being trained to be a good productive worker and essentially be a precarious seasonal Amazon um, automaton is not really an appealing life. So people are starting to question like, well, how meaningful is this education? What am I being prepared for? All of those types of things. That's that's maybe the, the ground that we have to analyze this from. Simultaneous to that, uh, people are having very meaningful educational experiences on the internet. So when you say that you feel like you're not learning in school, you are doubting the value of the education you're receiving but you're also receiving some type of an education, maybe through YouTube at this point, maybe podcasts, maybe through Instagram, you're being given reading material and PDFs and things like that. So I wonder if you could tell us where did you start to look? What was some of the content that you uncovered exploring social media and reading? Um, well, I began sort of trying to educate myself through videos, mostly like I watched everything I could find from submedia or anarchist YouTube. Um, at the time, there wasn't much. 
I guess because I exhausted what was there, I quickly moved on to just like reading anything I could find. And I'm really glad I did before there was more on YouTube because I really think I learned a lot more from reading. I feel like a lot of people that I know or have encountered online that have learned mostly from YouTube uh, have a lot of crazy ideas. <laughs> but um, um, one of the first things I started reading, of course, showing that even that early on the name BreadTube might be applicable is The Conquest of Bread, because that is the book that I heard about from anarchist communists and like from Liberty Socialist Rants. And I really liked it uh, when I first read it, largely because it reaffirmed or like expanded what I was thinking about in terms of um, the possibility that we could actually transform society to not be based on money and instead be based on need. You had on Instagram for a short while, well, maybe it's still circulating, you had compiled an open Google Doc, which was many, many pages, something like it might have been 20 pages of links and reading oh, materials. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it was just this exhaustive document, an extensively compiled list of materials to self-educate and and pursue something without the structures of institutions, um, having things being freely accessible online and, and everything like that. So hundreds of pages of links of just material available for free. I really think I thrust myself into finding anything I could at all about anarchism, communism, socialism. I really didn't discriminate at first in what I read at all. I mean, I'm still, I try to be open-minded, but I guess I read the things that seem worth reading the most to me now. But at the time, anything with the word socialist mm -hmm. on it was worth reading. Yeah, I would put anything I read or a lot of things I just like wanted to read later or read small parts of in this document so that other people could find them or I could go back to them. And it it became huge. And it's really I don't find it very useful anymore, um, partially because it takes like probably 15 minutes to load every time I click on it. But <laughs> I, I leave it. You can still find it through my Instagram bio because people tell me that it's helpful um, and I don't want to like deprive them of that resource. But it's really so big at this point. I feel like that it's no longer useful. You know, like a lot of the problem on the Internet is that there's just so much like where do you start? I think maybe now my perspective has shifted a little bit into pick something interesting and really get it like read it more closely it's curated yeah it's it's um you're you're describing almost like a database like you're describing basically having opening up your youtube history to the public like these are all of the links i looked through in the last three years or something like that and instead what you what you start to find is that when you actually open all of the archives you just get this flood of information and it becomes a lot of work to sort through all of it and make some kind of meaningful coherent narrative and that is the work of historians and curators and experts. And yeah, conceivably from those 200 pages of links, there is like a handful of things that can be um, curated into a syllabus that really transforms someone's way of understanding the world in a, a relatively shorter amount of time. Um, but then that requires going over the, the endless amount of links, which is a, it's a unique phenomena to today's internet because people are... Um, they're kind of at the the mercy of these sorting mechanisms and recommendation algorithms. And it really does require someone like yourself to compile the 200 pages to then sort from it and say like, okay, these are the 12 best things to read. This is the best place to start, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
I remember I put a little paragraph at the top. Um, I, I think it said a couple things about like what I was trying to do, but mostly um, the most important thing I remembered I wanted to emphasize was just telling people, use control F to find whatever you want here because there's no way you can actually like scroll through and find one thing. <laughs> Let's pivot into the offline world for right. a second here. Um, we've been talking about online experiences, we've been talking about political education, navigating social media. These politics are interesting. I think a lot of people get the sense that it's a social media hobby, <laughs> something like that. And one of the things that I've tried to emphasize over the last few years is that those online experiences are really impactful. They shape the decisions that people make later on in life. So I'd like to ask you about the LSF. Maybe to start off, could you explain what that organization is for people who are unfamiliar? The Liberty Socialist Front is a organization of communists and communist anarchists. It formed, I think, about two years ago, uh, maybe a little more than that, online. I've been part of it for a bit more than a year. I think I had 2019. I first I, I first caught it in my news Yeah, uh, probably about then. It started largely as like a discord, but I mean, with like these like working groups, um, like committees with the goal of like completing actual projects in the world, writing things and publishing them, like making art posters, that sort of stuff. And through like these connections we formed online, we've formed a sort of organization of groups across the whole country that are digitally connected, which are actually like, you know, acting locally in the real world. 12 chapters in the US. There's one in the UK. They're spread out um, East Coast, West Coast, uh, flyover country, kind of all around. But you're involved in the one that is in uh, Massachusetts. Is it in Boston officially uh, Massachusetts. or Massachusetts also, in general? I'm pretty sure the yeah. UK one is not functioning currently. I was going to ask about, yeah, I, I think they kind of fell off the radar. Okay. Okay. So Members we'll say in the UK clearly, but like, I don't think they're a functioning chapter really. Really only uh, operating chapters in the US and we'll say. Um, and there were a few mutual aid efforts made during the pandemic in various places. Yeah. In Massachusetts, like where I'm at, our main issue was that we were still sort of isolated from each other. Like there was a handful of us in Massachusetts, but most of us weren't initially close together. So we mostly just tried to form connections online that could allow us to be a more effective real world force at first. Like we organized reading groups and the, the reading groups are public, actually. So that, that was also a recruiting force for us. But we also have since then, like we've had a picnic in person and we've met up in person for some protests. A couple of our members have been working with like other local mutual aid groups. We've got a pretty active Oklahoma chapter, um, like centered around Tulsa, that I've been doing some of their own autonomous mutual aid projects. I seem to remember that during the pandemic, there were a few chapters that participated in food drives. They're, they're finding ways to participate in existing mutual aid efforts. What about uh, publishing? There was a few essays released, I want to say, uh, a few months back. I think the biggest written document that we've put out was our platform, which I helped to write. But there's also currently a sort of effort within the LSF to reevaluate it and critique it because we want to make it better. Always the struggle of left-wing groups, the, uh, the endless revisions of the documents. Yes, I've been in many a meeting uh, similar to that. I can, I can, of course, relate. 
That's very exciting stuff. And and would you say that is what occupies most of your time now is the the outreach, inviting people to the reading group, understanding the material, going over it as a group, things like this? A decent amount of our meetings, I guess, are the reading meetings. We're really sort of trying to pivot as the um, pandemic is waning a little bit towards being able to act more in person. Um, also, because we have a little more people now uh, closer together than we did, like we have enough members to be an actually functioning sort of group in Boston and in Worcester. We're sort of trying to shift to uh, being engaged with other local groups for like protest efforts and for planning a picnic and maybe some other future uh, in-person events. The meetups are important. Yeah, I forgot to mention the protests, of course. Yeah, that's where, because then you get a group that uh, uh, you have a group of people who are dedicated to look out for each other at the action. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, let me ask you one more question on this topic, if I can. Uh, In the conversations that I've had, mostly on the podcast, but also other things in the book and and, um, various conversations leading up to this, it seems that for most people, there's a divide between their friend groups, that people have the IRL friends and people have the URL friends. And it seems like the pandemic has really thrown all of that up in the air. And some of these groups are now overlapping in a way that they were, I guess, uh, much more divided before. But it sounds like you're kind of, you're moving from the URL space to the IRL in organizing the meetups, in attending the protests, in people meet through the Discord, find out where you are geographically, we'll link you into a group of people to get you involved. And and I think this is a, a healthy progression. Do you feel like I guess first question, is my timeline correct on that, that the pandemic accelerated the overlap between the IRL and the URL spheres? Two, what is the case uh, of your, say, previous friend group? I realize that you're, you're now graduating college, so people move on to other things. But do you have, say, for example, IRL friends that you went to high school with who have now gotten into politics similarly or are interested in these ideas or... Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely, you know, I've still got plenty of friends who are not really interested in politics. I mean, I think it's just sort of an aside. I think that makes sense that a lot of people would be just not engaged in politics really at all, because politics, as most people know it, is totally alienating and pretty much useless. So why would you care? It is. But, you know, I think to me, the alternative is revolution, but that's not as obvious to everyone. But I think it has become a lot more clear lately. Um, I think especially since the George Floyd rebellion, a lot of my like IRL friends have become more overtly politicized and in favor of revolution. I guess the pandemic then I think sort of accelerated in, in the sense that it made made it more normal to maintain friendships with online friends and in-person friends because everyone's online. As the pandemic is sort of receding a little bit in the U.S., I do think that the division between them is going away a bit pretty clearly. Uh, Like, my IRL friends are meeting my URL friends, like, right now (laughs) through the LSF. There you go. It's, like, (laughs) primarily the way that that's happening. Yeah, there's certainly... uh... Yeah, no one's got the full lay of the land. The uh, The territory is not mappable. But um, I feel very certain in saying that you are one of many, many groups and many young people who are doing a similar type of a thing. And I think in a few years from now, all of these projects are going to bear fruit and there will be something that is coherent and large and traces its lineage back to the type of political radicalization and the, the very online experience of the last year. And we're going to start to see the effects of that very soon, I think. 
Yeah, what does your summer look like? Are you finishing school? Are you hunting for jobs or? I am very begrudgingly seeking a job this summer because I'm totally broke. But long, a little longer term, I am also probably, you know, hoping to finish school. But I would really much rather that we have an insurrection in the next two years that makes that unnecessary. Um, because, uh, you know, especially over the last year, a lot of the demotivation from school, I mean, everyone's got zoom burnout, but I think it's also that, um, there's very clearly important, like social things happening outside of academia. And it feels so irrelevant to be like trying to get a good grade. And personally, yeah, like, I mean, my biggest, I guess, like passionate aim is to write, personally in a way that is helpful to the development of a revolutionary movement while also being like enjoyable for myself and for readers. Uh, so in the near future, I, I do hope that people will see writing from me and I hope people will look out for it. Well, it sounds like you're on the right track. Um, and it sounds like your assessment of higher education is very correct. Uh, it feels totally surreal to be reading radical theory and things like this while there's something that looks very much like a revolution happening literally outside on the street. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I think these trend lines are, are only going to continue in the near future, of course. Yeah, maybe I'll just I'll pass it to you. So we've known each other for a long while now. I've watched your account over the last few years. You are not a run-of-the-mill Politogram account or, or anything like this. You're one of the larger accounts, and you have been for quite a while. Around, I want to say, 2017 or so, you would have been at 10,000 followers. Now you have something like 15,000 followers. So your platform is not an anonymous meme account. It is really a space for messaging and for interfacing with the public and for spreading political ideas. What is it that you hope people learn through the content that you spread? What do you want people to walk away with? I guess um, really what I want people to come away with is that there is a social war happening. And that if we just go along with life as we know it, like the normal reproduction of capitalism, we're participating in our own destruction. So the only thing I see to do is to pick a side in that social war, specifically the side that has the potential to abolish society as we know it. So what I'm trying to get people to do with my account is to be exposed to radical theory and to use that radical theory uh, to critique everything about life as we know it today, to really get together with other people and to be like an actual force opposing society as we know it. Um, I have to ask one one last question. Um, what is your D and D character? Oh, geez. Okay. Um, I mean, I've had lots. Um, of course, I've been playing since seventh grade, but right now I'm playing an orc druid slash barbarian named Shagdub the Tranquil. Um, Shagdub yeah. is like he's really supposed to be the opposite of what people expect from some sort of orcish barbarian. 
Um, he's a very tranquil person. He's very connected to, like, uh, I guess nature, yeah, but also just, like, anyone who's chill and vibing out. Um, he very explicitly is not trying to hurt anyone innocent, as I find our parties very frequently do. Um, we're pretty reckless and violent, <laughs> so tranquil is sort of like the, the counterbalance to that. 